Dalton takes a shotgun snap. Quick throw. Nice. Caught by Get Green. It, it is a yeah. touchdown. Adriel Jeremiah Green. Hello and welcome to episode 111 of Cincinnati. And yes, they are becoming more and more like dart scores every week, aren't they? Uh, my name is Paul Hirons. Uh, we're back, as ever, fighting the good fight. Maybe that's uh, a phrase that shouldn't be used after yesterday's game. But yes, we're back, even though it was another horrific loss for the Bengals yesterday. And here to talk about it and hopefully uh, not calm you all down, but to share in our in our anger and rage and uh, discombobulation. It's Nathan Palmer, everybody. Nathan Palmer, everybody. Are you there? I am in there indeed, my son. I don't even know what to make of yesterday, really. It just... <laughs> oh, it's all a bit mad, isn't it, son? <laughs> I don't know where that weird laugh stroke noise came from, but that's just... I think I'm going mental every week watching the Bengals. I think it's starting to affect my motor functions and also my spirit and my soul. Um, it was... I don't think you're alone. No. It was pretty awful, yes. I, I think I'm going to say this now, at the right off the top of the bat, as they say. Uh, I think that second half performance was the worst I've seen since that Saints game a couple of years ago when we got completely and utterly blew out at home. And that was in the dying embers of the Marvin Lewis era. If you Do you remember that? We actually had a sort of mini I was going to say, that was at that sports bar by Marleybone Station, wasn't it? Oh, God. And we had a couple of... It was like an impromptu meet because we found out the Bengals were on Sky, so it was like, Bengals fans, assemble. You know, I think uh, a couple of guys did something in the north of England. A couple of di- guys did something in the far north of England. And we did something in London. A couple of three people turned up. And it was just awful, wasn't it? Not the people, obviously. Uh, they were lovely. <laughs> but uh, And then we did a podcast, I remember, from the, uh, from the bar. And yeah. uh, I think I forgot to turn press record oh mate yeah it was yeah. all happening but i have press record tonight uh but no I, I seriously i can't remember a performance as bad as that really uh it has to be up there for me top you know top 10 it's just really. if you look at the score like 19 to 7 and and no one told us about the context of the game both of us would probably just look at it and be like meh Probably we were the big favourites to lose the game. There's an argument we you certainly should be in it. Miami aren't a good team, really. They're very, very fortunate, I think, to be 8-4, and four, but that's another story. But you probably wouldn't say too much. A 12-point loss on the road, you move on to the next game. But it was just like you said, the manner of that second-half performance and the ugliness of it. It was just such a poor game of football. Um and it's just so unbelievably uninspiring from the Bengals. And we've banged on and on and on on this podcast enough to say, oh, we just want to see some progress. And, oh, I hope the players can, <laughs> you know, Jack Taylor can figure out the offense. And it just took a wild step back yesterday. Oh, and just when you thought it couldn't take any more steps back, it did. It was, it felt like total capitulation uh, in that second half. And it was such a shame to see, but also really maddening as well. And you just get the feeling that the the wheels have come off completely. 
not that they were kind of securely fixed in the first <laughs> place, but do you know what I mean? I mean, they're no, sort of they're so. sort of running off and wheeling down the road, uh, and the car is in a hedge somewhere, and. Uh, Oh man, I don't know where to start. Really, um, well, it's a funny one, isn't it? Like I said, because the Bengals were winning at half time, and they had the ball, and that's where it all started. I think that's when this is this is a sign for me, yeah, of where there's a big problem is because the Bengals were winning this game with the ball with about a minute or so left, yeah, in field goal range, quite comfortable, and then it all kicked off with Tyler Boyd. Now. We won't go into the bones. Of, well, we can get into the bones of that. But before I get to the bones... Yeah, <laughs> get to the meat first, you get to the bones. Yeah, I'll yeah. go through the meat first. That incident forced the Bengals back to have to kick a longer field goal. Now, if you get the field goal, you're up by a t- touchdown. You're going to nail Miami back in worst field position. Maybe they don't go and get a field goal. You go into the half up by a touchdown. But this field goal knocks them back to make it a 52-yarder. Bengals feel aggrieved by it. Tyler Boyd's been thrown out. The team's a bit rocked off the back of it. Bullock misses the field goal. And then the defence gives up a cheap field goal at the end. And all of a sudden, it's only a point. And since then, in the second half, the Bengals just had no answer. And it's the same thing we saw against the football team, where Joe Burrow got hurt. All the air, all the momentum went straight out of the team. And they absolutely capitulated in the second half. That one's slightly more understandable, but you just don't want to see these mental lapses from the Bengals where they get one decision that goes their way. Wasn't ideal, that thing with Tyler Boyd. I think it should have just been offsetting penalties. I don't really even think anyone should have got thrown out. It was a bit of fisty cuffs. It wasn't a fight. Yeah, I think it could have just been offsetting penalties. You do it again, lads. I'm going to toss you out. The game carries on. But it was what it was, and it wasn't great Boyd got thrown out. Their geezer also got thrown out, who's a fantastic cornerback as well. So really, at the end of it, you lose 15 yards. Just crack on with it. And I just think mentally, you don't want to see your team just not being able to respond to these things. There's no fight there. There's no like, oh, you know, we've um, been a bit unjust there. Let's go and punch them in the throat and win this game. And well, they almost the- did later on, to be fair, but... Uh... Well, yeah, I know what you mean. I, mean. I think they've got fight. I think they're just trying really hard. But it comes the stage when everything that you try and everything that you do doesn't come off. Your the barrel is is bare when it comes to confidence and self belief and here we go again mentality. Do you know what I mean? And people were trying really hard yesterday. I thought the defense played quite well in the first half. They you know Jesse Bates came up with something yet again. Von Bell was. Terrific Bates is quality. Bates uh, is such yeah. a good player. I mean, we could yeah. just do the podcast about him, really, and that keeps yeah, everyone yeah, in a good yeah. mood. Um, you know, Von Bell's playing well in and around the line of scrimmage. Um, you know, we were get, putting a little bit of pressure on Tua, who looked a bit out of sorts, and they were kind of keeping it quite vanilla for him. Um, I thought we were playing quite well. And then on offence, we were just about doing enough. Um, Brandon Allen, you know, okay. You know, he looked much better when he was you know, firing the ball out quickly and into the intermediate routes, but that's fine. It kind of kept the chains moving. And then, of course, we score that amazing touchdown from Tyler Board streaking down the sideline after a terrific block on the outside by Drew Sample, who had a really good first half. T Higgins had a good first half. And I just thought, OK, if they can keep this going, they're going to stay in this game. That's all you really want. We recognise that we're down to our third string 
quarterback. We recognise that our defence is severely depleted. We recognise that there's, you know, AJ Green is an absolute shadow, sadly, of his of his former self. We recognise that Mick, there's no Joe Mixon. Have I said that already? I can't remember. But, you know, we recognise all these things. But you look at, say, Colt McCoy, who led the Giants again to a victory against uh, yeah. the Seahawks yesterday. And there's another, bat, you know, Mike Glennon kept it close for um, the Jags against uh, the Vikings yesterday. It's like, why can't we do that? That's all we ask for, you know. Yeah, I mean, when you look at Colt McCoy going into Seattle and getting a win, I mean, that's outrageous. I mean, that that would have been a more improbable win than us turning over um, the Dolphins yesterday. I mean, to a, I, I'd, I'd take your point on the defence, but... I just don't think these are great. If we'd done that against Russell Wilson and the Seahawks, I'd say, yeah, absolutely. But against Tua with a brace on his hand, having played four games so far in his NFL career, Miles Gaskin's a seventh round pick who's nearly having 100 yards on your Tua. Yeah, but he's playing well, Miles Gaskin, to be fair, when he's, he's, you know, I've got him in my fantasy team. He's a good player. Yeah, he's all right. He's not a bad player. But, you know, Tua giving up nearly 300 yards to him on his first game back with sort of a brace on his hand that he's not yet, you know, he was limited in practice yeah. most of the week. I just, they're not, they're not a powerhouse of Dolphins. They're well coached. They've got a good defense. They're, they're a tricky customer, but again, we've said it every week. The Bengals have just got to find a way to win. There's only so many of these scenarios that can keep coming up. And I think, I think yesterday for me, and I'm sure I'd speak on behalf of a few fans here, that felt like more than just a loss in terms of your attitude towards where the direction in which this team's going. It really was very, very concerning for me. Yes, I agree. Now, we said we, we weren't going to... There is no guest this week again. Again, uh, it's kind of, we're not really in the mood for being jolly with guests at the moment, so we're just going to prattle on here for an hour, I think. And then I promise you, some joviality and jollity will return next week because it's the lead up to Christmas I think it's our penultimate uh, uh, episode before Christmas I believe next week so we're gonna try and have a good time and try and focus on you lot and our friends in the community and all the rest of it and keep the community just have some fun because obviously it's not fun on the field at the moment I think we pretty much said this exactly the same time last year as well Um, but we are going to wheel out the wheel of misfortune <laughs> one Ugh. last time for 2020 i think so uh, are you ready nathan we, we i think the wheels agent I do has like been the wheel. in, yeah uh, the wheels agent has been in touch he wants uh, commission now because <laughs> he only thought he was going to be a, a, on once this year but it's the third time we've had it out this uh, <laughs> this season so anyway you ready yep Right, there you go. There's the wheel. I preferred the old jingle. Well, that's it's progressively more desperate and vulgar and angry uh, as as it keeps getting uh, wheeled out, really. Uh, I don't know where to start, really. Um, It can't... Oh, sorry, I'm supposed to play this game. Yes, the wheel came up with fighting. And um, I... People are going nuts over the fighting. I, a, I thought it was quite entertaining. Uh, it was a nice break from the game. But people are going really mad over it, aren't they? And I, I, 
you know, it's not really what you want to see on a football field. That's, you know, that's a given. But um, you've got to... The Bengals have been taken as a bit dirty today. And I'm not sure whether that's the case. Because, to me, Miami started... I mean, it was quite a chippy game, wasn't it? Devonta Parker and, and William Jackson were going at each other. Uh, William Jackson actually had a pretty good game yesterday. But... Um, uh, William Jackson and Devonta Parker were, were having a good old go at each other and chipping away and winding each other up through pretty much throughout the whole game. Uh, and then you had that guy, the Miami guy, who had that late hit on Brandon Allen as he slid in the first half. Uh, yeah, that's a, a bit naughty, wasn't it? Very naughty. And then, and then I think the commentator said that that should have been an ejection, but um, uh, and then. They kept giving up penalties, uh, the Dolphins, and you kind of think if there's one team that's going to unravel here, it's 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 Miami because they're just the penalties were crazy for them in the first half. They had some late hits, as I say, on the quarterback. Devonta Parker was getting a bit chippy with with William Jackson, and then the incident with Howard and Tyler Boyd on the sideline. Now I saw that as. Incomplete pass, Tyler Boyd running out of bounds, three or four yards out of bounds, he got pushed by uh, Howard, which should have been a penalty, is it, really. Uh, and then Boyd reacted. It was kind of helmet to helmet. Howard then pushed him in the face with his hand. It wasn't a punch, frankly. Uh, and then TB reacted and pushed him back in the face. And again, it wasn't a punch. Uh, so how... Uh, I thought uh, ejections for both of those players were quite harsh, actually. Um, especially if you compare it to that guy in Chicago a few weeks ago who absolutely kicked off on that guy. Do you remember? Yeah, oh, yeah, yeah. That yeah. was hilarious. And uh, so I was surprised that Tyler Boyd got ejected and uh, Howard got ejected. And um, But then for us to be given a 15-yard penalty and not... It not to be offset because, you know, Howard started the f the little powwow in the first place was sort of beyond belief, really. It was really I weird. think that they did explain. I, I agree with you, and I think everyone's reaction yeah, there is, was that. Yeah, there is an explanation, I know, but it's yeah. still, it didn't seem right, though. No, it just it should have just been two offsetting penalties, like we said before, and then just call it. Say, look, lads, calm down, or we're throwing you out, and then just carry on with the game. It just it, it there's no need to penalise one person or the other. There, it was a bit of fisticuffs. So I I don't think it was a bit. I, I don't think the push that he initially put on Boyd as they were going out of bounds particularly deserved a penalty. But you know, when you start pushing people in the faces, you're going to get a flag thrown. Both guys did it. Flag should have come out. It wasn't a it wasn't a full blown fist fight. I I think it was a bit overstated really on that side of it. But, and I think the umpires ultimately or the refs or whatever you want to call them ultimately by sort of engaging that and getting people thrown out. I just think it hypes tensions up a bit more because in the, if yeah, you're the Bengals, yeah. you're pissed off by it. The dolphins are probably pissed off by it as well. And I think that's what led to, you know, the, the tempers flaring a bit in the second half. I mean, the one thing I will say Mike Thomas has got to ask himself some questions. I mean, I'm not saying he's deliberately doing it, but they were two pretty horrible hits to someone, a completely defenseless receiver, head down, crown of the helmet. I don't know how he didn't get thrown out for two well, penalties that were targeting. Let's, put it, let's put it in receiver. context a little bit. Let's put it in. I agree. There were penalties, and the second one, you know, 
was probably worse than the first one, I think. But you're, uh, the, what Bengals did very well yesterday, actually, you know, that guy back there, um, Grant, I think his name was, uh, for the Dolphins, is one of the league's top punt returners, right? And as Zach said in his press conference afterwards, he never calls for a fair catch, even if he's got people steaming up the field and gunners, well, gunning for him. So he never calls for a fair catch. And you could just say, they, you you can just tell that that was said in the meetings. It's something they recognise on tape. And yeah. it's like, well, let's let's get him before he can get out of his his position and get into his stride. So I, and you know, we saw Brandon Wilson and Stanley Morgan uh, making plays in when they were gunners yesterday. They played really well, but I mean, they were. I don't think they were dirty, but I just think they were late. They were just uh, well, not 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 late actually. Just uh, I think the first one was late. The, first, the second one was just early. Um, is that right? Have I, have I got that right? Uh, both, uh, from what I remember, they were both just too early. Geezer didn't, hadn't even caught the ball and he just absolutely yeah. leveled him. Yeah, I mean, I don't. Mike Thomas isn't a dirty player. No, I'm not. I don't, you I don't know, think anyone's um, insinuating he is, but it's, it's poor timing. I think to do it yes, a second time, if, yeah. if it was Alex Erickson back there and some geezer, a fringe player for the Dolphins. Yeah, we'd be going nuts, wouldn't, it? wouldn't yeah, it? Yeah, we'd be going mad. And I mean, I think. You know, obviously Brian Flores uh, doesn't need to be on the field there. Uh, well, yeah, bringing, that's the thing. Not, it was, it was the melee. It was set. the melee Flo- afterwards, really. That, yeah, that, Flores uh, really probably should have got thrown out. You can't have their coaches coming across the halfway line doing stuff like that. Really, I'm sure he'll get a fine for that. Probably should have. Yeah, problem is when all those penalties come out on the field. I mean, he probably I don't know how this works in the NFL if head coaches can even get thrown out of the game, but you, you know, you can't really be seeing stuff like that. But some people will argue, I'd love to see that from our head coach. I'd love to see it from people, you know, if, if something goes against you, getting a bit fired up and stuff. I mean, it's all a bit harmless at the end of the day, isn't it? It's not no one's been, you know, personally done off from it. It's just a bit of heated emotion in a, you know, professional sports. You see, it's not like and one of the craziest things like you see in baseball, like Amir Garrett for the Cincinnati Reds, he yeah. went full on. And like Yassiel Puigs had a few dust-ups as well when he was with the Reds. Like you see some proper naughty skirmishes in baseball. I mean, this was very much a little bit of a playground who said what type job. Like I, I did think it was like you said today. I don't think anyone was dirty out there, but it just got a bit out of control, didn't it? Yeah, I uh, agree. Although, I will say this, uh, Sean Williams was caught standing on the ankle of a uh, Dolphins player in the melee, and that was pretty normal. Oh, really? Yeah, I that was... That. We haven't seen that since a, a certain number 55 in Cincinnati, so that was naughty from Sean. Um, and also, people's reactions are quite interesting to me, because I'm not going nuts over it at all, um, but you get Brian Flores really instigating the whole thing after he charged across the field. He instigated it really. Well, no, the, you know, Mike Thomas has hit instigated it ultimately, but that uh, that would have just been a penalty and, and perhaps an ejection for Mike Thomas if it was just down to the refs. But with Flores charging across the field, that really kicked things off. Um, and then it's about how you react. A lot of fans are kind of saying, you know... Brian Flores is amazing for doing that. He's sticking up for his players and blah, blah, blah. I don't know, man. I, I think, and I did watch his press conference because I think he's quite a good guy. And uh, he was quite contrite about it. He said, I shouldn't have done that. Uh, I need to kind of, 
you know, lead by example and contain my emotions, but I was just, you know, trying to stick up for my players, you know. Um, but his players don't need sticking up for in that situation, bloody hell. Um, uh, so I'm, I'm, but then again, if if that was one of our coaches that did that, we, a lot of fans would have reacted the same way, wouldn't they? Would you have reacted? Well, going, it's, like, on, it's like with Andy Dalton, isn't it? When he got it laid out by Bostick, and none of the offensive line really did a great deal, and that was a very, very nasty hit that was yeah, to the yeah, head, concussed yeah. Dalton, knocked him out for a few games, and a lot of people were saying, "Well, where's the emotion? Why are they not, you know, absolutely going after this geezer?" So, I don't know. I, I don't think you ever want to see head coaches running on the field. It's like you said, what they offering? They're not going knocking anyone out, are they? Like, Well, it almost came to that because I think one <laughs> of our coaches hit the deck, didn't he? So he got lamped and uh, he hit the deck. And there, a lot of people seem to be having a go at the offensive line because they were just sitting on the bench uh, going, oh, well, you know, they don't care and why are they not fighting for our teammates? And it's like, hold on a minute. They've just literally come off the field. Uh, and sat down and then they're probably getting some oxygen or looking at their tablets and watching film and well they should have been getting told off really um so i don't get again it's just the overreaction faction uh going and Sally, if you'd have been there at our rock stadium you'd have been jumping the fences going in there after our boys mate i would have been on i would have climbed up to the top of the floodlights and <laughs> Suplexed everyone. Back in your schoolboy days at Coventry City, you're a bit of a <laughs> bit of a handful, I've heard on the terraces. I wasn't, dear listeners. I wasn't. Uh it was a bit uh there's a lot of overreaction from every angle that I can see. Uh and I think the NFL had probably got it right. There's some fines to be dished out, and that's probably about it, really. Be interesting to see going forward. Um whether Tyler Boyd is suspended or whether they kind of try and overturn it. Because I don't think, okay, he retaliated and he shouldn't have done that, but he certainly didn't instigate that that little, uh, you know, that little uh, dust up. Um, so, yeah, it'd be, it'd be interesting to see. There's uh, no chance Boyd's getting suspended for that. I'd be stunned if he did. I did it doesn't warrant it. Like, it, it, it was a bit messy and a few geezers, you know... Or a bit annoyed with it. I'd be, I'd be stunned if it warrants a suspension. It needs to be something usually pretty. I mean, AJ Green didn't get suspended that time when he full blown went out on Jalen Ramsey. I mean, yeah. the geezer was throwing punches while the geezer was at his back to him on the ground. Like, if he didn't get suspended for that, and that was a full on fight, that was. I mean, that was like yeah, a, yeah. you know, like a WWE match, let alone like, you know, Boyd having a bit of a. I mean, I've had bigger fights of that with you, my son, around the, around the sewing room, let alone, you know, getting suspended for it exactly shall we have our next topic go on <laughs> I don't quite know what that was. <laughs> uh, why is it that farting, the sound of farting, while disgusting and puerile, still really makes me laugh? I don't know why. Why is it about farts that still make everybody laugh? Anyway, um, third quarters. Um, it seems quite apt, really. Um, another third quarter where we came out and did nothing. I think at the end of the game, uh, we were something like minus... 
five yards in the second half, which is inexcusable, really, on offence, that is. Um, I can't put my finger on what's going on. Um, you know, Flores was asked in the press conference what adjustments, adjustments they made. And I think they I think they just sort of gave them a good rollicking because uh obviously more sort of X's and O's adjustments were going on. But they really gave them a good kick in the slats at half time and they came out firing in the second half. And it's kind of I don't know why we can't respond in that third quarter. Uh probably a mixture I mean, if you follow Matt Minnick, who's brilliant, I think, and uh since he jungles Matt Minnick, he kind of said, look, nothing much changed in terms of scheme or whatever. It was just players not executing plays. You know, receivers were dropping the ball. Brandon Allen was making the wrong read. Um, that kind of thing. So, oh, but it was just, it was just, as you say, I think you said it a bit earlier, the fact that Miami just came out and we didn't just didn't have anything left on in the tank i do think we're running on fumes at the moment and it doesn't take a lot to knock us off our stride and feel disheartened now i guess if you you know if you're <laughs> if you look at zach's record you know winning four games in almost two seasons um you're not going to be feeling great about things but so I don't know. I don't know what's going on in the third quarter, but it was horrendous because Miami started moving the ball. Mike Gazicki is looking good now. Uh, was catching the ball for fun. Gaskin ripped up a few nice runs, uh, and it was just, again. It was just like, wow, okay, let's respond on the offense, and we just couldn't do it. We just could not do it. I think one of the problems actually is. If you're going to play a third string quarterback, that is, um, with all due respect to Brandon, that's quite a big hindrance, isn't it? Let's face it, he's a third string quarterback. Um, what you do to protect your third string quarterback is uh, run the ball a lot more. And we we have not got a running game whatsoever. So it's it feels like a perfect storm of no running game, third string uh quarterback some players not executing and then the coaching of course as well so it it was extraordinarily disheartening to see them capitulate yesterday like that i mean as i say it doesn't really doesn't take much to knock them off course and and you know knock their confidence does it no absolutely not and like you were saying when you've not most players on this team haven't won games in the last two and a half, nearly three years now. And Zach Taylor, obviously fearing for his job. You're down to your second, third string quarterback. You're down to your second string running back. There's a slew of injuries. I just think that the confidence in that locker room is very low. And the players obviously will come out and say otherwise. And they'll say they're behind Zach and Zach will talk himself a good game. But it's hard not to look at that team now. And when we're in these tough games, like we've been in a lot of games this year, it's not been blowout losses. You know, there's been a lot of games in there that have been very, very tight. Again, we're up in this game at half time. We were up against the football team at half time. You fancy yourself. You've got to put these games away. They're not out of our reach. And 
it, whether it be adjustments at half time or just not the confidence or belief to make that big play to turn the tide, I don't know. But there's so many opportunities here. And you, you know, the play that I thought yesterday was like, all right, they've got a chance here. That Tyler Boyd 72 yard touchdown. Mm. If you're going to win a game like that, they're the plays that you need. You yeah. need to rip off a bit of a, I wouldn't call it a lucky play, but one of those yeah, plays yeah. where it's easier to run untouched 72 yards down the sideline than it is to string together a 72 yard drive of, you know, dinks and donks and all this sort of stuff to, to get past the defense. If you could just get a nice play where great block from Drew Sample, Boyd can run off a 72 yarder. You need a, you know, a couple of opportunistic fumbles or an interception or maybe a special teams play. That's how you, you know, play an upset, how you mm. sort of pull it off. But the, the Bengals just don't look like doing that at the moment. They're just not making those plays to win games. I don't know if it's just lack of confidence, belief, whatever we want to call it, but it just looked abysmal yesterday. They just looked like they were pissed off from that Tyler Boyd ejection and they just had, had no answer in the second half. It it really got ugly and it, you saw it on the offensive line. The, the sacks really started to mount up in the second half. Mm. They couldn't run the ball for anything and I mean they've struggled this whole year running the ball but yesterday it was particularly poor and it just didn't look like anyone apart from perhaps T Higgins who I've got so much time for yeah. the geezer. Him, him and Jesse Bates are what <laughs> are keeping me going here. Like, and I, I, I like Drew Sample really again are. yesterday. I thought he had a good first half, um, Drew Sample. And I do like uh, Von Bell as well. Uh, but it's just yeah. kind of, if you look at the defensive scores, there were some, uh, sorry, uh, grades from PFF. There were some really nice uh, grades yesterday. Uh, we'll come on to the offensive line in a minute. But, um, but yeah, you know, it's, it's kind of weird, really. Um, uh, let's just have a look at some of the grades here. Oh, it's embarrassing. Apparently, uh, Kyle Van Noy went on Pat McAfee's show and said he predicted that he was going to get three sacks because he was new. He was playing the Bengals, and sure enough, he did. Uh, it's quite embarrassing, <laughs> isn't it? Uh, so apparently, um, Bates scored eighty-one point three. Hubbard seventy-seven point nine. I thought he played much better yesterday. Sam Hubbard has one terrific uh, sort of shoelace tackle. On Tua and Tua could have been gone in that first half. Lawson seventy-seven point, well seventy-seven. Uh, William Jackson seventy-two point six and Bell seventy-one point five. Uh, on the offense, T Higgins eighty-three point nine and Drew Sample with eighty-one point eight. Uh, Geo Paul Dana says uh, we had a good day in pass protection. Um, so, you know, uh, there's some individual performances going out there, going on out there that, you know, have to praise really and have to recognize these guys are the future of the of the team. But it still it still worries me that we just can't come out and and play at all well in the in the first uh, sorry, in the second half. And just briefly, uh, just a uh, as an aside, Wayne Gorman, and we were talking about the Giants earlier. This is how you win when you haven't got your uh, your uh, starting quarterback. You give the ball to Wayne Gorman, and who looked really good, I thought, yesterday against the, uh, sorry last week against the Bengals. Sixteen carries, one hundred and thirty-five yards yesterday. That's some that's some statistic because that's eight point four yards a carry. Uh, Alfred Morris got involved as well. Uh, and Colt McCoy didn't have to do to me. He's 13 of 22, 105 touchdown and interception. So 
I've not seen any highlights yet. I didn't see much of the game between the Giants and the Seahawks. But it looks from the stat sheet that Colt McCoy wasn't being asked to do too much. And yet here's Brandon Allen being asked to chuck it down the field, you know, when really he should be kept to quite a conservative game plan. And you really want the run game to just to help him out, you know. And, that and run was... game is becoming a real problem. Like at the start of the season, it was a bit meh, a bit meek. And I think there was maybe one good game that Mixon had where he maybe hit 100 or something like that. But certainly since he's gone down, even the last couple of games before he went down, it, it's just been so pedestrian. I mean, to put up 43 yards on the ground yesterday you're just not going to offer yourself anything. You're not going to make the life of the quarterback easy, setting up any play actions. You're not picking up easy yards. It's just, it would have been, I mean, I was hoping P Ryan might potentially sort of step up in that power back role. He's just Mm. not really been given the opportunity with just three carries. Gio had a couple of what felt like some decent runs yesterday, but for every like six or seven yards, he gets. it's always, there's always like two or three where he gets dropped behind the line for a loss of two or three. And then you put in a lot of pressure on your quarterback there. I just, I haven't got team stats to hand, but I wouldn't mind betting that the Bengals are a top, uh, sorry, a bottom five rushing offense, uh, you know, to put it politely at the moment. And I think for next going forward for next year, they're going to have to address that, whether it just be from Mixon coming back or shoring up that line or whatever it might be. I think certainly for the rest of this season, if you're an opposing defence and you see Brandon Allen or Ryan Finley lining up, um, you know that AJ Green can't get any separation. Boyd's not going to probably beat you deep. You're probably going to say, go on, lads. You know, Yeah, yeah. Well, yeah, and also with a third-string quarterback, they're just going to force you to pass and fill the box, take away the run. And if you, they know that your quarterback isn't great, they're just going to say, look, mate, you just throw it and we'll we'll just take that all day. Uh, Shall we get on to our final? Go on. Right, there we go. That's I do apologise for eating any dinner or anything like that. <laughs> that was a big fart and burp special there. Indeed. <laughs> were, just, you, were you all right there, Nathan? I just feel a bit sad, son. I, I, I literally feel like this. I honestly feel like of all the podcasts we've done, 111 of them, I don't, I don't know, there's been some I've been really gutted, but today I just feel, I feel a bit knackered, to be honest. Yeah, I do It just agree, takes yeah. its toll on you, doesn't it? It does. It really does, and it's such a shame. And I'm, but it was, it was, it was, you know, hard to watch yesterday. I think. Um, um, let's finish with the offensive line. Um, Michael Jordan had a pass blocking grade of seven point one yesterday. Wow, seven point one from PFF. Um, and you know, there's that clip going around online that kind of. Shows Bobby Hart completely and utterly, I don't know what he's doing, blocking thin air as a guy sort of runs inside. Although I still contend that there's a, Quinton Spain was a bit culpable for that as well. But anyway, 
uh, although I've been told not, uh, it's all about Bobby, then some other people have said, yes, it's going to Spain as well. as But anyway, whatever. They did not have a good game. I mean, Alan was sacked five times, and Finley actually, uh, sacked five times in the second half. Um, and it just, again, it, it seems to be symptomatic of the Bengals' whole performance in that second half. It completely, I mean, completely fell apart. There was a stretch in that uh, second, I think, fourth quarter. Uh, maybe not, third or fourth. Third, fourth quarter, I think. Um, when pretty much every play, they seemed to sack the quarterback. And then Brandon Allen went out because he sort of fell on top of the ball and he was winded. Thankfully, it's just he's winded. And then just to add insult to industry, <laughs> insult to industry sounds like a, a prog a synth album from the 1980s, but um, just to add insult to injury, um, Jonah Williams went down, which looks like a really serious injury again. And you just kind of think, what is going on back there? You know, Mike Jordan, I'm sorry, Mike, but he's just not great. Uh, Jonah looked solid-ish. Bobby Hart is solid and then he has some complete head scratches. It always has done. Quinton Spain much prefers it on the, on the left-hand side. People screaming at the offensive line and Jim Turner. And it's just not very good, is it? <laughs> the offensive line's a funny one, isn't it? A little bit like the wide receivers. I can't work out whether they are really just really, really bad or, you know, they're just not great. And I think yesterday you look at it and they go and put up five sacks, completely handled the Bengals in the second half of that game. And it just feels like every single week that line chops and changes and it makes a step forward. It takes two steps back, two steps forward, three steps back. It just, there's no consistency to it. And mm. losing Jonah Williams is, I think, the most heartbreaking thing of yesterday. You can t you stomach the losses. You can stomach poor play poor coaching, whatever you want to call it. That can be changed, that can improve. But you can't have your best young players on this team having serious injuries because if we've got any aspirations in the next couple of years under a Joe Burrow rookie contract of making a serious run, not just a serious run to make the playoffs or you know get a wild card game, but to actually go deep in the playoffs and hopefully contest for a Super Bowl, these are the guys you're going to have to do it behind. People like Jonah Williams, first-round picks, young guys with a lot of potential that need to sort of, you know, grasp that. Jesse Bates, obviously Joe Burrow, T. Higgins, those sort of guys have got to stay healthy. They've got to be able to get some progress. I mean, Jonah didn't play the whole of last season because he was injured. Um, I think he missed a couple of games this year, and now he's out, I would imagine. And again, and this has not been confirmed, but mm. probably going to be out for the rest of the season after that pretty nasty-looking knee injury yesterday, which occurred on a missed block, someone going through and taking him out from below from the Dolphins. So you look at that and you just think, you know, and it goes back to that conversation about, oh, is it the line's fault? Is, you know, the coaching staff getting Joe Burrow hurt by not making this line good enough? To the same argument, really, to Jonah Williams from people missing blocks and, yeah, yeah. you know, taking him out. And again, we're not going to get into that, whose fault is it and whatever else. But that line, it's just not good enough. And I think the team knows that. The fans certainly know that. They've known it for a few years. And you can put plasters on and bring in people like Quinton Spain from other teams who, you know, a lot of 
people liking Quinton Spain, but his PFF grade for the year in the 50s is not, you know, it's not fantastic. Obviously, Mike Jordan really, uh, you know, fair play to the geese. He's a young lad still, but certainly hasn't progressed as we would have liked. Jonah can't stay on the field, bless him. You know, looks like a good player when he can, and I think he will end up being a good player, but he needs to stay healthy. But it's just, you know, and Bobby Hart is the eternal head scratch for every Bengals fan. Again, it looks like he's made progress. PFF will tell you he's made progress. But I think for a lot of fans, it's not what they see on the TV screen every Sunday. So there needs it needs to be blown up in the off season it needs there needs to be a plan i think we all would agree there probably needs to be a coaching change there you can't have a guy there for two years and the line still be sort of the laughing point of the side and not just say look let's get another guy in here try something different Mm. these young lads haven't developed there's not been one player under jim turner you'd look at and say god this guy's come on leaps and bounds you know so I think we need to. There needs to be a change there. There probably needs to be some big money free agent signings there. It, it still remains to be a big priority for the off season. Yep, I think so. Um, before we get into the uh, the uh, wild water rapids that are our uh, <laughs> our correspondents this week. Um, few things to mention um we are continuing our uh daily christmas advent calendar videos there's some really good ones so far so keep tuning into our social media feeds at who underscore uk on twitter and bengals uk on facebook and you can uh, uh watch them every day and have a chuckle and feel all warm and christmassy I noticed that you particularly enjoyed Lord Rixendale's uh, video <laughs> today, gave, Nathan. That gave me a right chuckle, that did. I love the effort on that and the, the sort of creepiness of it in a sort of fun way. I really enjoyed that. He is very creepy, he's the Lord. Um, <laughs> only joking, Rich. Um, also, we have a an exciting Christmas raffle because we celebrated, Nathan, uh, our fifth anniversary of our first ever official Meetup, fan meetup. Um, it was upstairs in the Carpenter's Arms, and uh, we weren't sure how many people were going to come along, but it was about 30 odd people. We watched the Bengals absolutely destroy the Browns. Quados were the days, my son, weren't oh, they? Oh, they were the days. Remember when we were quite a good team? That, and we were a good team in 2015 as well. Uh, and everything kicked off. I put a video up a couple of days ago, actually on the anniversary itself, and I noticed that uh, you were front and centre of that video, as ever, Nathan. Um, (laughs) uh, So we thought, you know, we'd do something, market with something a little bit special. Um, We're having a charity raffle, and uh, you can win a signed Bengals poster. It's from last year's draft in Nashville. Poster is made by the legendary Hatch Show Print uh, store in Nashville. I'm very lucky enough to have been there. It is fantastic, really historic. They do some fantastic stuff. And uh, a certain Bengals captain managed to get uh, all the rookies, I think pretty much all the rookies, to sign that poster because he went to that draft and he managed to get lots of autographs. And, and Jeremy has donated that for us. So many thanks to to the captain. And uh, it's really great. I mean, if you're into uh, memorabilia, it is a very rare thing, I have to say. Um, so that's that's up for uh, to win. 
And then uh, there's just a regular version, unsigned version of that poster. And it's still a really cool poster. Uh, so that's, and we've got also a, a nice new era Bengals cap to give away as well. So there's three cool prizes. Uh, I'm going to stick the uh, the signed poster in a frame for the winner and try and get it out to you, to you before Christmas. But more importantly, it is to raise money for uh, Action for Children's Secret Santa initiative. Uh, Action for Children sort of specialises in helping uh, underprivileged and vulnerable kids and young people. And of course, Christmas is is only a few weeks away, and. Uh, uh, this Secret Santa initiative, if you donate, uh, they buy presents for these kids. But not just presents, they kind of help them put roofs over their head if they need them, put food in their bellies at Christmas if they need it as well. So it's a fantastic charity. Uh, now, the uh, raffle, uh, you can buy as many tickets as you want. It's £2.50 a go. Um, the competition, or the raffle rather, ends next Thursday, the 16th, I believe. Um, so you've got about 10 days to get stuck in. And listen, if you if you don't like the look of the prizes, you know, why don't you just go in and tip in a, a fiver or a tenner or whatever you can afford because it is a fantastic charity. This is what we're doing it for, really, uh, to raise money for the charity. So uh, we'll be posting, though, there's a lot going on at the moment, man. So uh, we will be posting that every day on our social media feeds. Again, at Today underscore UK and Bengals UK on Facebook. So do come and check us out for fun Christmas videos and also details on how to buy some raffle tickets to win uh, a very cool and very rare signed Bengals poster. And that's it. You can talk now for a bit, Nathan. You're a beautiful and kind young man, my son, aren't you? Look at you, doing your bit for the world. It just it warms my heart, it does. Well, there you go. If you can't do it for Christmas, uh, you can't do it at all, really, can you? And why not? It's about time we did something... Uh, again for charity so uh yeah we're hoping to raise loads of money or as, as much money as people can afford because again it's been um the shittest of years really for lots of people in lots of different ways um so if you can afford to spare a fiver or a tenner go and buy five tickets or uh again if you, even if you want to win that poster and even if you don't but there you go i've got uh i've been why you why you've been uh waffling <laughs> <laughs> well, you've been telling the fans. I've I've got some great stats here. Go Do you on. want me to read them out to you? Just are they move fun on? stats though? Are they fun? Well, they're, I think they're interesting. Right. Bottom ten teams in the NFL oh, by number God. of sacks per game this year. Go on. The correlation between teams being shit and teams getting sacked a lot, and vice versa, teams keeping their quarterback upright and being good is phenomenal. Bottom ten teams: Philadelphia worse with four point four sacks a game. Cincinnati, so Philadelphia. That's a surprise with the players they've got on that line. I think most yeah. of their so sacks, most of their socks. I was going to say, <laughs> most of their socks came against us. I believe. Well, yeah, but no, no, no. I mean, like sacks given up. Oh, by I their see. I beg your pardon. Line. I beg your pardon. Right. So Philadelphia worse with four point four a game given up. Then it's us with three point seven. Yeah. Then the only anomaly in this list: Seattle three point three. Yeah. Then Washington, Dallas, Houston, Detroit, New York, New. Uh, so yeah, New York, New York, Jacksonville. So if you look <laughs> at that list, every single team in the bottom ten pretty much is horrendous, apart from Seattle. You look at the top ten. 
no surprises at all. The best team in the NFL with 0.9 sacks a game. So not even a sack a game average, the Pittsburgh Steelers. Oh, all right, I thought you were going to cheer us up. And also, when you said New York, New York, I thought you were going to launch into the Frank Sinatra song <laughs> for a minute. Then. But honestly, the top 10, Pittsburgh, Green Bay, Indianapolis, LA Rams, Tampa Bay, yeah, all Kansas right, all City. Right, I know, we're rubbish. Cleveland. We are, I know, you don't need to hammer it in. Good, that just emphasises we've got to protect the quarterback. You yeah, keep your quarterback upright, get him sacked once a game, like these lads are doing in the top 10 you win football games yeah I agree uh, should we get to our should we dive head first into this then uh, alright there's a bit of rage going on so fair warning uh, Jamie at Trequart Beaster even by our usual standards that was embarrassing but as embarrassing the reaction is to the fights etc that we're once again the bad guys and the Dolphins are good and pure and blameless uh, as if they didn't hit a sliding QB in the head or punch a coach. Yeah, he's right. You know, it's double standards, man. And uh, I thought, actually, if anybody's going to be called dirty, it's uh, got to be Miami. Um, here's a statement for you. Uh, Duncan... I've got a lot of sympathy for Jamie this year. The geezer, spare a thought for Jamie, right? The geezer Ooh. this year, he's got the Bengals and Sheffield United as his two teams. I'm sure. I think across the, <laughs> the, the pyramid of... Um, well, the landscape of football and American football combined, it's not been a fun year for the geezer. So my, my heart goes out to him. I'm sure he'll thank you very much for reminding him of that. Uh, Duncan Yeadon at Slam Dunk the Funk. Solid handle. Where the F do we go from here? Injuries, inept second half performance, awful O-line, no run game, Finley. I'd go on, but you get the drift. I'm handing out P45s like refs throwing flags last night. It's time for changes. I like Zach, but enough is enough. It's time to move on. Um, Phil Hatton at Bengal Blue Boy. Zach's buzzword is accountability. What do you think that means in relation to where we are? What do you think he means it means? It's a good question because I think Zach, poor old Zach, has dug himself a bit of a hole, really, because he does bang on about accountability. He does bang on about culture, and he has right from the start, and he's still doing it in press conferences. If there's one bit of advice I'd give to Zach, I'd lay off the culture and accountability stuff in press conferences, because I think you know it really is starting to rub people up the wrong way. Yeah. Um, accountability, I just think it's kind of, you know, Owning up to being a terrible football team and acknowledging that and just trying to fix it. And that might not be a short-term thing. That's the problem. We, as fans, are very emotional and impatient. Uh, this you know, there's an, this isn't going to be fixed in a year, especially with all the injuries this year. Uh, it'd be interesting to see where we are. Uh, I'm not sure with the same coaching staff. This time next year after a decent draft, because I think we have had a decent draft uh, earlier on this year. I don't know. I, th- I think Zach means uh, means it to mean you've got to own stuff. You've got to be accountable every day. I think I think it refers to a, a much wider range of things um, than we know about, if that makes sense. Because I do think there's a lot. There was a lot of stuff going in that locker room. That perhaps wasn't a okay, and some players needed a kick up the arse, and uh, some of them didn't like it. Some of them bought in, 
you know. So I don't know. It's but I, I, it feels right. I know what he's trying to get at. I do think he should sort of lay off the accountability stuff in press conferences. Really. No, I agree. I think what Zach Tyler, Zach Taylor's style of leadership is he wants to be a sort of player's coach. He wants people to feel like they can talk to him and he wants to try and develop leadership and this sort of ideal morale, let's say, in the locker room. And you hear a lot of people say he's a good guy. You don't hear a lot of people saying, oh, I don't like him. He's not, it rubs people out the wrong way, anything like that. He's not particularly controversial, but I just think when you're trying to build this sort of nicey-nicey leadership, sort of accountability, all these sort of buzzwords that you get into the press conferences, that's absolutely fine, but you've got to back it up. And sometimes, especially after games like yesterday, I think a lot of fans, rightly or wrongly, just want to see him come out and say, that was not good enough. I'm going to be having a stern word with my players. That is not enough. And I, I just think that, you know, it's not selling your players short, but I think sometimes... When you're not winning games and you've got the, a lot of these players in transition from the Marvin era and sometimes he's a young guy, very young. He's not he's not necessarily a coach that's going to come in like an Andy Reid type figure coming into Kansas City that's been there and done it and is going to command immediate respect for what he's achieved in the past. You know, he came into this team as a young guy with fun ideas from the Sean McVay tree. And he, a lot of players wouldn't have known who he was. Gino Atkins, Carlos Dunlap and stuff. You, you, I certainly didn't know who he was. And I think there's a lot of Bengals fans would have struggled to tell you who Zach Taylor was three years ago. So I think that approach works if you've got, if you've already earned the respect of players and, you know, you've potentially got a winning culture instilled already and you're, I don't know. I just think it's hard to implement something like that with a team that's in rebuild mode and potentially is going through this transition. I think it really has worn thin on a lot of people. Richard Dixon at Lord Rixendale. Uh, Solid handle. All right, Richard. Uh, it was diabolical, but you all already know that. Let's focus on some positives. This draft class has the potential to be legendary. Jesse Bates is a superstar. William Jackson continues to be a very good corner. Not going to deny it, though. It was a joyless game to watch. Here, here. Uh, that, that sums it up well. Yeah. Uh, Wee Man Syndrome at Or Cameron. A question from those of us too young to remember the 90s. How does last night and the last year in general match up to what fans went through back then? It's hard to imagine it could be much worse than what we saw last night. Uh, also, yet another worrying observation about this line. The entire group sat on the bench and watched uh, one of our coaches be punched to the ground. Correct thing to do? Technically, yes, but you can't feel good about that. Same as the Dalton situation in Dallas a few weeks ago. We've been through that, Connor. I, I don't know what the obsession is with with kind of jumping in and fighting. I, I just don't. However, I will Tell defend that it. to the policeman that you'd done over <laughs> on Kentish Town <laughs> exactly. High Street. I bet you would have loved to have heard I mean, you say that about five or six years ago. Prison reformed me, Nathan. So, <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, I think that, as I say, the guys were sitting down and they probably actually didn't see through... Anyway, I don't need to defend anyone, really. I don't, you know. Uh, but it's an interesting point because <laughs> ever since um, 2015, uh, you've heard me say it a few times on this podcast that um, it has got a bit of a whiff about the 90s. And, that, I mean, Zach Taylor has got actually a worse record than David Shuler in his first two seasons. And that is saying something. That I mean, that is saying something. Again, 
It feels like deja vu. Mike Brown, soon after his dad, Paul, passed away in 1990, uh, he brought in David Shuler, a hot, young, offensive-minded coach, and it really didn't work. And the first couple of seasons were awful. Um, but, of course, you know, I was around then, but we didn't have sort of live games on the TV every week, certainly not Bengals games, so... I wouldn't really know what they were like. I just saw bits of highlights. But the records spoke spoke, uh, spoke for themselves. It improved a little bit. But I think after about three... How many seasons was Dave Shuler coach? It must have been three or four, I think. Um, he improved. I think he got a... I think he got an eight and eight season or at least a seven and nine season. Uh, but it does, it does feel a bit like that only because there's some talented uh, guys on the team... There's a question whether he was stern enough and, you know, was clear enough and and, and actually good enough, poor old Dave Shuler. Um, so I think there's quite a few comparisons. Uh, but the whole 90s, uh, they didn't have a, a winning record for 10 years and we're already five years since that uh, playoff game. So it's it's heading that way really, isn't it? It is indeed, yeah. And I think, I mean, I've been a fan since about 2004. And I feel like we've, that, like we said last year, uh, last week, sorry, under Marvin, we were always at least somewhat competitive. There were some bad years and some bad games in there, no doubt. But even for me, I think the last, sort of the last part, the last year of Marvin's reign, spare probably the first five, six games of that season. And then the last two have been really hard. You know, um, it has been a, I really miss those days of the 2000 sort of yeah. 14, 15, 16 seasons. That was a, a golden period, I think, to be a Bengals fan. Yeah. Martin Caladine at Ugly Game. While the game was unwatchable, I enjoyed the fight tremendously. It does raise the question of disciplinary measures, though. What would you say is the appropriate punishment for the half dozen players who conspicuously fail to get involved? Um, I still don't get this obsession with the offensive line. It just seems to fit a narrative if you're against and not a fan of the offensive line to have a go at them for sitting down. Um, so I'm not, I'm, uh, you know, what can I say about that question, really? Yeah, I, I, I think we've got over the fight enough. I think it's blown out of all proportion. It wasn't even a proper fight. Do you know what I mean? There's a couple of, like, anyway, we talked about it, I think some. Dave Cassett, come on, Didier. Um, Solid handle. Is it just me, or is watching the Bengals getting harder by the week? If every week was a wipeout, it might be easier, as we could just switch off mentally after the first quarter. Somehow, they just about keep it competitive until halftime, before crashing to the ground in the third quarter. <laughs> Obviously, it's so true, isn't it? Oh yeah. Obviously, we were so bad. We could have improved our stats by running the quarterback sneak on every play in the second half. At least the fight was entertaining. Um, yeah, it's, uh, you know, it's bad. It's really bad. Touchdown tips at touchdown tips. Um, we should just accept that we're going to be a poor team forever. Everyone we draft gets <laughs> injured. Everyone they sign gets injured. Should we just have mercy on free agents and go back to not bothering to sign anyone? Plus side, defense seems to be getting better each week and is young. I know what it's like. He's right. It is. It is so dispiriting, isn't it? Because DJ Reader, we were so excited about to to see him play, and he was great for the first couple of weeks until he got injured. Uh, Trey Wayne's we've not seen this season. 
unlike I wonder if we will see him this season. You know, obviously Burrow and now Jonah and Mixon have to sign that big contract. He's out. Gino got injured in in training camp and he's been a shadow. Uh, AJ is well, it's just like goodness me. Um, I do think I do think of the core. There's times like now where obviously you're down to your sort of second, third string quarterback, and there's so many injuries as there always is on this team across the board. But I do think fully healthy, especially when you include players like Trey Waynes, we've not even had a chance to see yet. It is a team with serious potential, and probably what we predicted at the start of the season, probably a seven and nine team. And I do think if that coaching job does come up for um, applicants during the off-season. Coaches will be interesting because you've got Joe Burrow. If he's healthy, I mean, what a beautiful present to have. You're going to probably have the third overall pick in the draft. Again, whoever you draft is going to be a very, very good player. You've got the top picks at the start of every round. There's a good lot of players, you know, across the board. If you're doing it on paper, mm-hmm. we've said DJ Reader, Waynes, obviously a young T. Higgins. There's good players on that team that people will be interested to come and coach. And it wouldn't take a lot. A couple of good extra signings in free agency. There's going to be a lot of cap room available with people like AJ Green not re-signing next year, possibly Gino moving on as well. So, yeah, I, I, do, I don't think the Bengals are as far away as we think. I think they could be very competitive next year with the right coach. And I think they could be very, very competitive and really challenge for the playoffs the year after. So that if I'm going to say one positive thing today, I... I don't think it's like a five-year rebuild by any means. Warrior at WarriorNate99. Solid handle. Evening, chaps. I'm going to type this every week. Zach has to go. We never play better or have better second-half game plans. This coach who was hired to be an offensive guru has two of the worst second-half performances in terms of yards in NFL history in the same season. I mean, he makes fair points, you know. Um, Uh... It's, it's not good, is it, really? <laughs> just not just, good. You should have edit that bit out and just play that out of the podcast. It's just not good, really. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I think that would do for most people. And uh, Odat at uh, DZE, based on what you've seen in 28 games, would either of you think it unfair or harsh if the organisation let Zach go at the end of the season? Um, I don't think it would be harsh, just purely by the record and the way the wheels have come off, because I think it's, at this particular moment of time, it's, it would be hard for any coach to turn this around. It would, because as I said, you know, it doesn't take, I, I really do think they're running on fumes at the moment, and it doesn't take much to knock them off course or knock their confidence because confidence is that low. And when things, well, when the amount of things that have gone wrong have gone wrong, it's it's really difficult to turn it around. Like really difficult. Um, so I don't think it would be harsh. I'm actually we're recording this what it's uh, just coming up to eight o'clock on the Monday the seventh, and I think Zach's due to go into his press conference now. I'm just checking Twitter just to see if there's any news. I because you know you look at Matt Patricia being. Fired was it last week or the week before? You look at Greg Williams was fired from the Jets yesterday after <laughs> after a cover zero blitz on the kind of last play of the game and the Raiders uh, 
managed to score that touchdown to Henry Ruggs. So he was fired, you know, pretty much straight after the game. So organisations do do this, but the Bengals tend not to. Um, but I'm just just keeping an eye on Twitter just to see, A, what uh, Zach has to say and whether there's been any news. And also, obviously, news of Joe's injury as well, because uh, I don't think it looks good. But no, I don't think it would be harsh if he went at the end of the season. Whether he does or not, I'm still 50-50. And whether I want him to or not, I'm actually still, I would say, 30-70 in favour, if that makes sense. Yeah, I don't think it would be harsh at all. And I think that Zach was clinging on before yesterday's game. I think there was probably a handful of fans out there, maybe 10%, 20% before yesterday's game that would have said, still give him a chance here. This is a rough set of circumstances. And they are a rough set of circumstances. He's not had it easy. But I really think that game yesterday turned a lot of people's heads. And I think that he could have lost that game 27 to seven and the Bengals could have been fairly poor. I don't think it just had, there was something about that game yesterday, which is hard. I think the next day to put your finger on as easily, but there was something about that game. I think just the, the manner of it, just the capitulation, the ugliness, the grittiness of it that I think people just looked at and thought that's not a world coach team. That's not a disciplined quality up and coming team and it's a hard. The Bengals are a bad team at the moment. They've got down so many players. Even the best of coaches out there will be struggling to win these games. It's not necessarily that, but you try and look for signs. Uh, I've crossed the board with this team to say, are they a well-coached team? Is Zach just dealing with uh, a rough like deck of cards with injuries and whatever else? And I just think there's nothing that I can look at over these last two years that would lead me to say, I think we've been a very well-coached team or Mm. there's loads of potential here from this coaching staff. And I think one thing with Zach that I think if he looks back on his days in Cincinnati and he's let go at the end of the season, one mistake that he made, big, big mistake, was getting rid of Frank Pollock and installing Jim Turner. I just think that for whatever reason that you knew the guy or he was a family friend or you trusted him from all that stuff in Miami, Frank Pollock was highly regarded. If you spoke to Bengals fans, they love Frank Pollock. They were saying, oh, he's such a good coach. He was one of the best coaches in Dallas and everyone Mm -hmm. liked him. Big move to go and install a guy that was the center of a bully gate scandal that is going to, you know, to a fairly poor offensive line. And I just think to let Jim Turner be as focal as he has been for fans and not to sort of just say, right, for my own sake here and for the sake of this team, I need to make a change. I just think it's a big, big oversight. But, yeah, I don't think it would be harsh. I I actually think after yesterday's game, the odds probably shift to the favour of him getting canned at the end of this season. I think that the organisation just has to take the temperature here and unless there's some pretty drastic changes in these last four games I'd I'd be very surprised actually at this point if he is brought back I, I I'm still not sure whether they will I think there will be changes and I personally think there needs to be changes I think I think you bang on um he should have surrounded himself I get it you know like anyone, you you tap up mates for work and you tap up people that you've worked with before for work because you know how they work and you know uh, their strengths and weaknesses and whatnot. And it happens all the time, and especially in sport, every club, every sport, no problems with that at all. And we've been through it before. He came in late, you know, 
didn't have much wiggle room really and got the guys in that he knew. Uh, but obviously the question is whether they were right for coordinator positions and also, you know, whether they were just good enough in their jobs. And I, I think, you know, I think the consensus out there that Jim is not good enough uh, as an offensive line coach. And, 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 and Lou, even though he's had his moments... Um, uh, he's not quite there as a defensive coordinator. Um, do, do you know the one thing I think that's really hard with Zach Taylor is last year we were dreadful. Um, there was a lot of injuries. You had Dalton and they benched him and they went with Finley and they brought Dalton back. And uh, one year in, everyone was willing to give Zach Taylor a pass. Joe Burrow is phenomenal and it makes you realize and i don't think anyone doubted just how good he was but it makes you realize just how damn oh, good he was yeah, yeah, yeah. when you look at these last um games with brandon allen and ryan finley between them and that's the worrying thing is like joe burrow might make me and you coaching out there look mm. half decent and win five or six games just because he is that so good, good and he can yeah. lead this team and um, really sort of make the best of a bad situation. So with him under centre, if he comes back healthy next year, we'll win games. We'll win seven, eight, nine, maybe games. But how reflect, you know, we want more than that. We want the coaching staff to make Joe Burrow better, not Joe the other way around. Yeah, I think-, I think that's a really good point. And I think that's what's happened, isn't it? I mean, when, I think we meant, we talked about it last week on the podcast, when Burrow went down, um, you, you want, play okay you know Brandon Allen is is not on the same planet as as Joe Burrow in terms of ability accuracy or mental processing that's I think that's fair enough to say um but you want a scheme even if you have key players out that kind of just about works and you know teams do it across the league you look at New Orleans at the moment Taysom Hill at quarterback yeah exactly exactly. but they've got a championship defense the Giants have got Colt McCoy uh, at quarterback, and I'll say it again, but they've got a running game to to ensure him uh, and kind yeah. of ease Colt McQueen to, to make sure he did. We have got none of those things. Yeah. Uh, so the trenches have to be sorted out next year. I mean, that has to be the priority. You have to get an offensive line to protect Joe Burrow. It, again, it's sort of preaching to the converted here, I know, but you have yeah. to do it. You have to forget saying that oh we think Mike Jordan's going to come on next year he hasn't he's been terrible we need an offensive line to protect Joe Burrow right now and a blocking scheme that they're all comfortable with and they know what they're doing and roles that they're confident and with and they know what they're doing no no one of the things that really I've not liked and again it's kind of you know they forced their hand because of injuries a little bit like you said earlier, they've not been able to play a settled offensive line. And you know, I think Dave Lapham says it's an offensive line is like five fingers in a glove. It's a glove. And yep. they all have to be moving in the right direction. They all have to be in sync. And that is something that they just have not been in. Yes, there's been improvements. And then, as you say, there's been two steps back. And then it's back to being okay again. And it's awful. Then it's okay. And you just need some consistency and you need better players on that line. Yeah. And I think you need some better coaching, quite frankly. Um, right, should we wrap this up? Because we could go on and rant on for ages, couldn't we, really? Just uh, a quick take, son. What are you thinking about the Cowboys game next next week? How about this? 
will be competitive in the first half and no doubt actually be leading at half time. <laughs> uh, and then, uh, you know, people like C.D. Lamb and Amari Cooper and uh, Ezekiel, I mean, they've got some big boy skill position players, those like. And Dalton, as we know, is a, an average to above average quarterback. And, he's you know, if he's given time to... To operate, which uh, he didn't actually when he was in Cincinnati, um, uh, but he might well do against our pass rush, then he'll be fine. Um, yeah, I think we'll get beaten this week. Sorry, but I do. I think the Cowboys are a fairly badly coached team. I don't think Mike McCarthy's covering himself in glory at the moment. I think you look at what um, what the Packers are doing without him and you know, and what Dallas is doing with him, and there's some head scratches there. I wouldn't be surprised to see him get canned at the end of this season. But I think looking at Dalton, I watched that Thanksgiving game with Dalton at quarterback, and he really looks like he's struggling. And I feel bad for him because the Cowboys have got a terrible offensive line this year as well. So it's not like he's gone from – he's improved in that area, and obviously they're down um, a few other players. But it's our last chance at winning it. We're at home. Their plan was a lot of backup players. We're obviously beaten down. Do you think it's going to be a Brandon Allen start again, or do you think there's any chance they go with Finley? I think if Allen's healthy, it probably yeah. Be him, I think, it? Uh, Allen said he was just winded, so he's not yeah. broken any or cracked any ribs or anything like that. So he should be out there. Uh, Zach Taylor said um, uh, he expects an update on Jonah on Wednesday or by Wednesday. So um, fingers crossed for that. Um, okay, as uh, as you all know, uh, you can reach us at whoday underscore UK, Bengals UK on Facebook. Uh, and then, uh, as I say, keep an eye out for all this Christmas stuff, this Advent calendar. We're doing it every day up until Christmas Eve. And also, do buy some tickets for our charity raffle if you can and if you want to. So, again, keep an eye out on our social feeds uh, for details on how to enter to win a signed Bengals poster. But until next week, where we see the return of the Ginger Prince and the Terracotta Terror and the... um, I can't think of anything alliterative more to say about Andy Dalton. But uh, he's back. BBS will be back on Monday to to discuss the night before. And, of course, we'll have our own uh, online tailgate before the game. So do tune in. Uh, So, yes... Until then, dear friends, it's a who day from me. And a who day from me. Cheers, guys. And it should also be noted that the views and opinions expressed within this podcast do not reflect those of the Cincinnati Bengals organisation.